Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. You know, there was a study done, and I've mentioned it a couple of times in other podcasts, of what were the characteristics or factors that caused people to feel good about themselves or well-being. And, of course, the first one was gratitude. But interesting enough, and surprisingly actually to me, was the second item that was contributing to that was the love of learning, You know, today we would all acknowledge or admit that information is just doubling, tripling at a rapid pace, accelerating. And so really, if we want to keep up, we need to be able to be continuous and constant learning. But it's more than that. We don't learn because we have to. We learn because we get to. We learn because we want to. And so today, I really want to talk about you know, the work that we've done around learning styles and instructional styles and the impact that that has on individuals around us, including yourself, about how do we want to take learning in. All of us have had chances or, pardon me, times when really we didn't like the learning environment. For those of you that are listening that have been to uh, university, what's really, really sad is this thing they created called tenure. And the reality is just because you've been there a long time does not mean that you're good. There doesn't seem to be any kind of accountability in education in the ability to cause students to be successful. I get paid for my knowledge, not my ability to transfer knowledge, which is completely upside down. So I digress. So have we been in a course, a program, a session where the speaker was boring. It was, it was all you could do. It was like a root canal, painful to be able to kind of stay there. So when we think about learning, learning is very personal. There is a great, huge debate. If you go online, you will see all kinds of documentation and data suggesting there's no such thing as learning styles. Bunk, bunk, and bunk. And I will share a study that refutes that 100%. Here's the reality. Some of you have a certain style of learning. Others, a different, not right, not wrong, just simply unique to you. The other side is if you're listening and you are a teacher, an instructor, a coach, a speaker, then we need to be able to be conscious and aware that there are different individuals out there in terms of how they want to take information in. So can we adjust our communication style, our instructional style, to meet the needs of different learning styles? And that's why we created the program or the process called Why Don't You Teach the Way That I Learn? You know, when we think about learning style, it doesn't have anything to do with learning disabilities. I've shared the story in my book, Why Aren't You More Like Me?, where my grade 9 English teacher said that it would not amount to anything because I couldn't read or write. It's when I was doing my master's degree in business, my MBA, that they discovered that I have a mild form of dyslexia. So here is this great invention called Word, and so that started to underline the red words. And so my ability to speak or to understand words, my English teacher, who really uh, 
demoralize me in grade nine is really I couldn't read or write correctly, but she was just blaming it on my lack of commitment, my lack of dedication, my attitude, when in fact had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the fact that I couldn't really understand and see the words correctly. And if I really, really concentrate, then I can do better with my words, even on these podcasts. If you've been listening to a series of them, I will have certain sentences that might not be completed fully. And I apologize in advance to those of you that are the word or English police. Or maybe I'll miss, (laughs) see right there, mispronounce a word. And it's not that I'm intending to, but if I don't slow down, then the likelihood of me making some (laughs) enunciation errors will go up, as well as getting the structure of a sentence in an incorrect order. So I really want to speak to all of us that are listening as far as wanting to learn, but this also transfers to those of us that have students or as parents or any kind of educational kind of environment where learning needs to take place, as well as the responsibility we need to take as instructors. As a past school board chair, one of the things that I was just really, really amazed is that Now, there are many, many good teachers, don't get me wrong, but where taking the responsibility to create an environment that causes students to learn just doesn't necessarily seem to be on the radar for many people who are in education. Or if you are technically an expert, maybe you're not taking responsibility in terms of how you want to transfer that information. So I don't want to be like my grade nine teacher to you. I want to encourage you that every one of us need to continue to learn. And that love, the love of learning is foundational to our well-being. It's foundational to our competitiveness in the market or our enjoyment in the market. You know, I, I've mentioned this before in different videos is that every morning I'll spend 30 minutes to an hour doing research, reading some kind of newsletter, uh, watching a video of an expert on the topic areas that are my focus, which are leadership, leadership purpose and wellness. Or maybe I'll be on my phone with a podcast, an audio podcast, because I love that. I can leverage that. If I'm driving, I'm not listening to the radio for the most part, unless it's a short four-minute trip. If I'm doing longer, I'll have my headphones or I have some kind of Bluetooth speakers where I'm going to be able to listen to it. So when we think about learning, why don't you teach the way I learn, is really about understanding that each of us take information in differently. And here's our definition of learning style. It's your natural preference to seek out, acquire, and apply information from various learning sources. It's how you want to take that information in. Not right not wrong, just your style. So I've shared that I nearly failed high school. So in grade 11 and 12, I turned up the commitment. I worked harder, so I applied myself so that I would have marks good enough to get into college. In college, out of a 4.0, I think it was a 3.4, so I was really approaching a B-plus average for my college years. When I did my master's degree, it was 3.4, 3.5. I forget exactly what it was. So here I was, as I was increasing my sort of education level, 
my success in the education actually increased. And now there was a couple of reasons why. As when I did my master's degree, which was, a, was one of the things way back when where executive MBAs were more rare. And in fact, the local universities uh, tried to shut this university down, which was really out of Macau, which is the territory outside of Hong Kong, and they were, they were linked back, of course, to Portugal, is they were trying to shut it down because they didn't believe that students, adult students, going to classes on weekends was okay. You needed to go to class on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 7 to 9. I mean, how ridiculous. And so now we look at just this whole revolution about how people take learning in. All the online universities, distance learning, blended learning, combinations so that we can meet the adult learners. Heaven forbid that we would actually be learner or client driven. I remember going to a conference in Atlanta and there were four deans of prestigious universities out of the U.S. and they were all arguing about what would be in a bachelor's degree, sort of a standard liberal arts bachelor's degree. And none of them could agree, or they couldn't agree on what could be the content. But they all knew that it was going to take four years. You know how ridiculous that is when you think about it? Is that, why is it four years? Who, who said it should be four years? And so why don't we design learnings to serve us? So what started to happen for me in my story? And when I did my doctor degree, it was 4.0. I said, are you kidding? How, how did that happen? Somebody who almost failed high school has a 4.0 credits or grade in his PhD. And that's because my learning moved closer and closer towards my passion. It moved towards what I enjoyed doing. I didn't have to take any courses in my doctor degree that I didn't want. It was part of the selection process to be able to take a project-based degree rather than you are forced with, oh, you need to take all these required courses, even if it doesn't apply to you, even if you're not interested in it. And so as passion, as you get connected to what you enjoy, then obviously the learning is easier. Now, one of the other things that we wanted to mention, we said that you know, learning style has nothing to do with disabilities. So learning style is really about how you want to acquire information, but also how you teach others. And I'll just uh, talk about those four different styles here in a minute and what that means. But learning style is not about a person's IQ. So your intelligence level is not linked to it. Your abilities or interests, as well as your passions. So you and I could want to learn or might want to learn the same way, one wanting to be a firefighter, another one wanting to be a teacher, another uh, individual trying to be and work in IT. So what we mean by learning style and instructional style is really just the imparting and taking in of knowledge. The other one is, is learning disabilities, I said earlier, are not part of this. And even though there's all this kind of work around ADHD or uh, dyslexia, et cetera, uh, some of that is based on another component we pushed down there was health. And I did an entire podcast on wellness, and I've had wellness experts on before as well, is that if you don't get enough sleep, if you uh, have a sugar rush or, and then a sugar down, th then really your ability to concentrate, your ability to work, if you haven't Again, get the sleep so that you can't concentrate and your cognitive functions affect you. And then there is some research that links that different cultures and different language 
affects how people can interact with different learning and different items as well. And I just don't have time in today's show to go into it. But I just wanted to verify or to set in place for you today that according to the National Science Foundation, and this is instructional and learning style research, this was all out of the outcomes of the work of W. Michael Sturm, S-T-U-R-M. And what they did with these students, with these individuals, and said, okay, does learning and instructional style matter? So in this study, they took the teachers, the instructors, and made them accountable to adjust their teaching style to better fit the students, to better serve the students. So interesting enough, here's what the research showed, is the grade point average of the students improved by 80%. What? 80%. Units completed per term improved by 70%, 76%. So not only did my grades go up, I also did more units. I actually was able to study more, do more courses. And then the other one is, is a, what they call the persistence ratio, and that improved by 82%. So they stayed and they stayed the course and they didn't quit. So I have grades that improved by 80%. I have units completed improved by 76%. And then my persistence, meaning I'm not going to quit, is improved by 82. So if anybody says that learning style and instructional style doesn't matter and it's bunk, they have no idea what they're talking about. And so here's, and you know it intuitively. Now, how it works and all the different learning styles, there are many sort of learning style tools and processes out there that are less valid than others, and I get that, and, and, and certainly that applies to us. But when we think about learning styles, one of the things that's different about CRG in our work, the work that we've done over the last nearly 40 years, is that many times people will talk about the kinesthetic, the auditory, and visual learner, but they're missing one. Really, CRG has four different learning styles, and I'm just going to briefly go through them in the in the – uh, implications of them, the impact of them, in one of the number one sort of learning style components. And by the way, learning style for many people, if they complete our personal style indicator, their learning style will tend to, and in many cases, be different than their personal style. So if you take a personality assessment like DISC or Myers-Briggs, but personal style indicator, and then you take our learning style, it's not necessarily going to be aligned. It could be completely different. It also could be your learning style could be different than your instructional style. Because learning in a lot of cases is contextual. It really has a dynamic piece that's going on, and there's some environments that you are in life that no matter what, you really have to learn this way. And so what does that mean for you? So the one area of learning, what we call, we have four different learning modes and we are a blend of those four. Each, everybody listening here, you have a blend of that learning about how you want to take learning in. But the one learning mode that most of the other tools don't talk about is the independent learning mode. So why is it that there is so much success in online, uh, blended learning, independent learning is because the independent learner was never served 30 years ago, 40 years ago. You need to kind of fit in this box. You're going to take this course now. So they started with sort of distance learning or correspondence courses. And then all of a sudden, the non-traditional universities 
just rock the boat of the traditional brick and mortar. You know, why do we need brick and mortar? I'm not against it. But why do we need brick and mortar when, why don't I want to learn, like, on my own? And so my last degree was completely project-based and driven by me. I could work on it when I wanted to. I had a delivery date that I need for certain modules. There was a sort of a, a structure around it. But really, in discussion with the professor, we established the project goals and the project content in advance for approval of the project, as most people would do for their doctoral uh, thesis or their doctorate. And so when, when you go through that process and you confirm that, but you know what, I was able to make the decisions. I was able to contribute to what that project would look like so that it was playing to my passions. So that's where a lot of cases these other style tools do not acknowledge the fact that the inter independent learner they are best around self-directed actions. Uh, they like working alone. They like having fast pace. They like to be able to kind of take and do it as they can rather than being sort of force-fed. A lot of times, even independent learners, they don't like group work. In the reason, and some of you can relate to this. Have you ever had where you were in university or maybe with some other course you were partnered up with somebody else that was less capable. We're not trying to be judgmental, but it's just a reality. So they were less capable. They weren't really contributing. And so your grade was affected by them. Well, independent learners don't appreciate that. They don't like that. And so one of the things, when we think about education today and being a school board chair, so think about K to 12, or think about the brick-and-mortar university model. Do they honor the independent learner? Absolutely not. I mean, to think that you would, yes, there might be some projects you could do on your own, but it's really not about your space and be able to kind of set up your project. One of our relatives had to pull their daughter out of school. And one of the reasons that we really discovered with conversations with them, they pulled her out of school. She wasn't doing well because she was bored. The teacher was teaching to this large group, you know, 25, 30 students, and their daughter was really an accelerated learner, and she was acting out because she was completely and utterly bored with the class. So she had already gotten it in the first five minutes, and then she was spending another hour kind of going through it. And so we think that these individuals, you know, they, they're not disciplined or they're not being parented right, when in fact the learning environment is not serving them. Another thing around the independent learner is that they don't really like instructors who talk too much. They don't like instructors who don't get to the point. They don't like instructors who really don't have credibility or competence. You know, it's always interesting where you can have individuals, not to point, again, at advanced education, but professors who have never done the job, never really been in the position or are teaching it. So independent learners really will vet through that, is do you have the credibility to teach me? Have you ever done this? Have you ever worked with a client to do it? Or have you only been stuck sort of in this academic cloud? You know, that, so that's what we call the independent learner. The next one that we have here is what we call the visual learner. So that's quite common, and we, that's linked to our cognitive analysis uh, profile or, or dimension. And so the visual learner, if that's for you, then I need to learn through my eye gate. 
I see it. I need to read it. You know, when we even teach uh, sales uh, training and sales performance, if I have a client who is a visual learner, I need to be able to see it to get it. So show me on the screen, uh, show me the product, show me in a documentation so that I can read it so that it really anchors for me. So if you're an instructor and you don't have any supportive handouts, if you don't have any supportive components, now, as a podcast, we're trying to uh, do transcriptions of this content here so that if you want to go back to it, you can look at it. And so that's some areas where we're looking at that where this is mostly audio. So we get that. The other thing is, is that uh, the visual learner really wants structure. They want sequence. They want to know what they want to know, meaning, you know, what's going to be on the test. What do you? What's coming up next? Uh, chaos and lack of structure can actually cause these individuals to suffer. My daughter has a fair amount of sort of visual needs as a learner, and I still remember in high school, with one of the teachers did not have this whatsoever. So he brought chaos. Now, here's an individual who, on average, is a B or an A student and nearly failed the class because the instructor was so wild, chaotic. You know, I would, I almost said incompetent, but incompetent in the way of acknowledging teaching styles or instructional styles, and he didn't own his teaching style. He was just going to be chaos. There wasn't going to be any kind of clarity. And at the end of the class, they weren't even sure, what did I learn? We've all been there. We, we said that. So these individuals, you require organization, sequence, process. You also want, if there's an instructor involved, that people would be fair. So an example is, let's say you get your report or your project in on time, and there are three or four other people in the class that are late, and they are not docked for being late. That will bug you because you got it on time. How come that teacher or instructor or professor let them get it in late without any kind of consequence? So that's the visual learner. When the next one is we're talking about the audio uh, learner. So I, I hear through my ear gate. You know, when we're talking about personal style and other uh, programs, one of the reasons interpersonal sort of harmony individuals are such great counselors is because they're such great listeners. And so the auditory learner is a really one that's through their ears, listening, lectures, presentations. And so if you are an auditory learner and you've listened to this podcast, then you'll get it. And so I really have a blended learning style. Well, I have an independent. I have an independent learning style, but really I can learn in all four of the modes fairly balanced. So the other thing around auditory is that, you know, they don't want an aggressive learning environment, if people are picked on, if uh, there's a lack of fairness, if there's a lack of sort of gentleness or kindness from the instructor, then it's going to shut down these learners. These learners are going to be hesitant. If you have an intensity in your instructional style, then these learners are going to or will tend to, unless they take ownership, to withdraw. So that's the auditory learner. And then finally, what we call the experiential learner. I really need to do it to get it. Now, there is a certain reality that no matter who you are, is that there are some situations where eventually you're going to have to pick up the golf club and swing the club. 
Now, so there are some, when we think about experiential learners, though, is they're not going to watch the video. They're not going to read the manual. They're not going to necessarily <clears throat> listen to the instructor all that well. They need to pick up the club and swing it. Now, all of us need to eventually, but their preference is I need to do it to get it. And we know that you know, the best way to train people is for them to kind of be in it. But there's some individuals that if I don't touch it, I won't get it. So let's just think, you're a parent, and I'm not sure who's listening here as a parent, or maybe you're a grandparent and you have a two, three, four, five-year-old. If you have a two, three, four, five-year-old, and they're an experiential learner, and you say, Ken, don't touch that glass bowl. Don't touch that glass statue. As soon as you turn your back, what do they do? They go straight to that statue. They go straight to that bowl because they need to touch it. They're vicarious. They need to experience whatever it is that they're interested in. And then once they touch it and once they're able to kind of interact with it, then their needs are met. And so a lot of times as a parent, when you think about the different learning styles, you could have another child who is obedient and you say don't touch and then they are compliant. But the experiential learner won't be because they need to touch it. So part of the strategy is you give it and you let them touch it and then you put it back. Now your success in holding them to be compliant is going to be much, much better. The other thing about experiential learners is that the learning environment needs to be fun. If you are dry and boring and sequence kind of professor or a teacher or instructor, I mean, they're going to check out like right now. I mean, do you have energy? Do you uh, really engage the class? Do you look at this as a fun experience? And if it's not, then guess what? This individual is not going to do well. You know, so when we think about the different learning styles, it's interesting is that education, for the most part, is around the visual in the auditory. So I've got it up on the blackboard, I've got it on my notebook, I've got it on my computer, and then the auditory where the teacher is teaching. But the independent learner and the experiential learner is frowned upon. It's not structured. Now, I'm not talking about chaos. I'm just saying, do we acknowledge, such as the study did, remember what the numbers were. We're talking 70-80% improvement in all categories because the educational system adjusted their learning, their instructional style to meet the different learning styles. So you can't deny the importance of that. So when we think about the instructional and the learning styles, that are we really taking that in consideration? So an example, and my point was going to be, is education really plays to the cognitive or the visual or the interpersonal and the auditory. So what happens to those learners who are independent and those learners who experiential? And guess what? I just happen to be one of those. So the more that I moved away from a structured environment where I had some choices, where I had some direction that I had some say. I mean, in high school, I had some electives. Sure, you could go and do woodworking or you could do metal uh, band or something like that. But you really had very, very few choices. You had to do the math. You had to do the English. You had to do the sciences if you were going to go to university of any course. But then once I went to college, I took and selected 
a diploma that fit me. Then I took a executive MBA that really had content in work for me, and it was project-based. So even though there was classroom time, I really enjoyed that because it was interacting with other adults who were already working in the workplace, and I learned as much from them as I did from the professors. And then I could do project papers related to my own company, my own business, not somebody else's. So that's when the context came in. And then, of course, the doctorate degree was more linked to a project base for the work that I've done for the last three decades. So when we think about education, the C's or the cognitive and interpersonal or the visual and the auditory are honored and the other ones are disruptive. I can't remember how many times I was in the principal's office when I was grade six and seven because one of the things you, we want to do is we want to interact and talk with others. Learning is a interaction with the environment. I'm going to do what I want regardless of what you've asked me to do. And so, of course, always picked on, always um, setting over to the principal's office. And, and then, of course, in high school said, well, you're not going to amount to anything because you can't read or write, instead of really honoring the diversity that uh, was in the classroom. Now, I just want to kind of bring a bow on this for us today and not take too long. I just, all of us, if we're going to contribute at the highest level, it is always about continuous learning. And if the study is correct, that the second most important piece to our well-being is the love of learning, then it behooves us, everybody that's listening, is how do you want to take information in? And to be intentional with it, to be structured with it, be aware of it. So my wife, Brenda, teaches a study skills class at the university, and really the, our learning style assessment is a core piece that every student must take so that they understand their different uh, learning styles and how they take it in and help them be intentional about how they're going to work it out. The other one is, is how do they set up their study time? How do they set up their structure? There's some learners who really they need an environment that is going to contribute to their ability to be successful. Do they know what that environment means? So this becomes a breakthrough for them. And in the in-depth interpretations, we really talk about what are your learning strengths, but also what are some difficulties? What are some study and learning strategies? And then how can I shift that. And so when, I, when the invention really of the podcast or the streaming or this mobile world, that sure just played to my independent learning, but also played to my audio uh, learning style, which both apply to me. So what is that for you? You know, if the title is, why don't you teach the way that I learn, that really applies to both sides of that equation. So what are you doing to be intentional with the learning that you need? Do you structure it in? You know, the love of learning, I just said, okay, what, what sources really do I find most enjoyable, enjoyable but still be able to get the information that I need or want? <clears throat> and do I participate in that? Do I make sure that that happens? In what environments do I find where it's a detriment, where I really don't learn? And so can I adjust that as much as possible? Now, that, and granted, there are some situations which are required. Let's say you are doing a certification. You're a pilot. You have to go for recertification. There is a certain protocol that is required. Okay, well, then in that case, then I take responsibility that even though it might not be my learning style to do it this way, 
then what can I do to shift my mindset to be a growth mindset to adjust sort of my preferences and how I want to take in learning to really be compliant to those things are important. I mean, thank goodness they have pilot rechecks every six months to a year to ensure that the pilots out there know what they're doing. You, you understand that. Or a recertification in any kind of profession or field. So life isn't always perfect. So that's also giving up your frustration, giving up your, I guess, your dislike of the learning environment. And if you really are frustrated with that learning environment, then you're not going to learn as well. I'm not saying it's perfect. So even though we talked about flexibility and, and being intentional and, and creating an environment that serves you, life isn't always perfect. So knowing that says, okay, this is what I need to learn. It's not my preference, but I will shift. I will adjust to be able to take this information in, and then I will make sure I have backup, other strategies that work for me. It'll just a kind of a final story. My son, what we realized is that he can work independently when he's writing papers. But if he's trying to study for an exam, and especially before he was uh, being taking his final exam as a pilot, and it was a multiple choice test that you go through, and there were some what they call um, example exams that they could use to uh, get familiar with the content of this exam. What we found with was is that he would study well if he studied with us and we read the questions to him and then the choices and then he would choose one. So rather than kind of going through the question and then determining what the answer was on his own, by interacting with somebody else there and verbally doing it, that became a learning environment that contributed to him. And so as parents, we learned that uh, fairly early on to be able to kind of adjust how we're doing versus a parent that says, you know, just go to your room and study. Well, for some learners, that necessarily works best. And then the opposite is true where you're in a group and you just can't pay attention. You know, you read a paragraph 12 times because somebody else is interrupting. The other thing, and finally, is, and this is just what we call distraction research, which we applies to any learning style, doesn't matter, is the research is showing that, well, first of all, there's no such thing as multitasking. You know, right now I'm doing a podcast. I'm not trying to write an email to somebody. And if I did, it would just even think about it, it distracts me. But you can't focus on multiple things. And what the research is showing, and it varies depending on who you source, but if I'm distracted with a notification on my phone, with an email that pops up, says, oh, inbox, 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 do you know that it takes 5 to 12 minutes to get your concentration back to where you were? I mean, this is, you know, Les Hewitt and I were talking about that in a, on the power of focus is that, you know, from a learning point of view, it's completely counterproductive or unproductive. And so even from a learning, you could be doing in the right learning environment, but if you're letting distractions take away from your focus, then your ability to take the information, your ability to hear it, your ability to kind of work with it is going to be a lot, lot less. Well, you know, I, one of my greatest sort of desires uh, out there is that individuals, being an individual who was picked on in high school, 
who had low esteem, who as teachers were very, very frustrated with, frustrated with me, and then I was insecure because of that. And if you're great, I mean, here I am, you know, 40 years later, still talking about my grade nine teachers that I would not amount to anything. You know, don't ever say that comments don't affect people. They do. And it was just really um, a knife that cut through the security as far as writing. And here I am now, an author of, you know, three or four books and all kinds of content, and I enjoy writing. I love writing. If I had never pushed through that, then maybe living my purpose would not be realized, and I would have never guessed that. No way in a million years would you have said, oh, Ken, you're going to be a writer, and you're going to be writing all these books. I would have never, ever said that that would be possible based on the learning environment that I had in high school and how detrimental it was really to my esteem. So I just encourage any of you that are teaching others that you would honor the diversity. Remember, learning style is different than learning disabilities, which could frustrate you and them. From a learner, from taking in information, be aware, awake of how you want to take the information in. If you want to get those newsletters in your box and read them in the morning, uh, set some structure on that. What is it that you want to learn? You know, if we're just watching reality TV and all the news, then we're really not growing. It's just, you know, it's pretty well junk anyways. And so I just encourage you that by doing this, boy, what a confidence level is going to grow for you. What a confidence level for the individuals around you. And what a difference we'll make. My goal, as I was then finished sentence earlier, is that this information or technology would really be global and others would be honored on the fact that this diversity is out there and that we would be proactive and the boring <laughs> tenured professor would be gone. They would, they would be only accountable to be able to cause learning to occur and only then are you being successful. You know, so I thank you for listening to today's show on why don't you teach the way that I learn. You know, share this with other individuals, other teaching professionals, uh, some of the other pod podcasts. Go back to the ones that we have on leadership and wellness and self-worth and purpose and all the different components and, and topics that we are covering. If you have some ideas of what you would like to hear about as far as a guest or content, then let the team know and then we'll see if we can do something in the future. You know, and I really sure appreciate, you know, the support of many supportive comments that have been coming out as well. It's just a delight to be able to serve you in this way, to equip you and be able to kind of share uh, the knowledge that has been acquired over the last 30 years through other mentors who have taken the time and spent it with me. You know, if again, as I mentioned, Share it on Facebook, share it on LinkedIn, whatever it is there. And until we talk next time or we interact next time, this is the Secrets of Success podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keith. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com, scroll to the bottom, and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.